Hey, it's Ben here. And in addition to this podcast, I also teach Microsoft Excel online. Visit ExcelExposure.com for more information and use the coupon code FAILURE for 20% off of the lifetime access to the course. Stay tuned after the episode for a little bit more information as to why it's so important to improve your Excel skills and unlock your inner Excel ninja. Thanks. Hey there, everybody. I just wanted to share some incredible news. You are now into year number two of the Failure Guy podcast. Two days ago was the anniversary of the first episode. Also, today is International Podcasters Day, September 30th across the world. And as such, I will be releasing a new episode, which is with Nate Dukes, who wrote an incredible book that I hope you will all buy. Just wanted to do a little intro here to celebrate one year of the podcast and also International Podcasters Day. So if anybody's wondering if they should do a podcast, I would say why not? If you're scared, feel free to reach out to me and I'm happy to have you as your first podcast experience. Now on to Nate Dukes. Hey there, this is Ben Currier, self-proclaimed world's number one failure. In this podcast, we'll learn about the hardest moments my guests faced and the failures they endured on their path towards making it. I hope you enjoy. Hey there, friends of failure. Uh, Welcome to this week's episode of the Failure Guy podcast. I am here with a best friend of failure, uh, Nate Dukes here. Nate, how are you doing? I'm doing really well, man. Thank you so much for having me on this show. I'll tell you, I have gotten to listen to a lot of different episodes. I'm a fan of this show. I'm not just a friend of failure. I'm a fan of you, man. This is a great podcast. Well, I appreciate it. It seems like we are on the same vibe in terms of struggling big time. Maybe maybe even um, you know, denying it to ourselves. And then when we come to accept it and learn that we need to change uh, is when we start figuring out how to actually make it better. So for the guests that uh, don't know anything about you, um, I'd like you to start out with uh, either a, a humble or a shameless or whatever kind of brag you want to tell people the things you've accomplished that you'd like to, to mention before we get into the deeper, darker stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So I will tell you, the first thing is, is right now, I love my life. I really, really do. I have a great life that I'm really thankful for. Um, I'm 33. I got married to the love of my life last year. Her name is Jenna. We bought our very first investment property together, which was really cool. Um, And we're actually looking at acquiring a second one here very shortly. Um, I've sat on the board of a nonprofit for underprivileged youth. Um, I get to lead hundreds of volunteers at my local church every week. Um, But the thing that I'm most proud of is that uh, for the last 18 months, I've been working on a project to help people who feel stuck who feel like, uh, man, my life is way too messy to change. For people who feel like there's more inside of me, but I don't necessarily know how to pull it out. And it's a book that I wrote. It's called You'll Never Change, Create Your Comeback and Prove Them Wrong. Um, It came out and went to number one in Amazon uh, for its category, which was such a cool experience for me. You know, I'm just a chubby kid from Ohio. And for something like that to happen was really, really awesome. And uh, I've been on this podcast tour lately where I've been on so many different shows and I've gotten to meet some incredible people just like you sharing my story who are passionate about seeing people actually make real change in their life. That's awesome. I'm so happy that, you know, things have turned around for you. By the way, you're not that chubby. 
in my estimation, <laughs> <laughs> or at least as far as I can tell, maybe you're hiding like a, a giant something down there, but uh, you look relatively about the same size as me. But I'm glad you you found a way to get past some of your issues. I know in our pre-recording green room, whatever you want to call it, we talked about a little bit about the issues, but since the listeners don't know, we'll get into some of that. But I think what you were talking about is really important. Like a lot of people just get in their own way and they they have a lot of negative self-talk. Yeah. And even people think that I'm doing too much negative self-talk by calling myself the world's number one failure, but it's more to make myself have to address the issues in my life because otherwise, especially in corporate America, you know, you can, you can get fired from a job and then they'll not tell the next people. And then in the interview, I'm good at interviews so I can uh, brush over it. Say I'm working on my, you know, newest project or I was working on my business. I can, I can weasel my way out of it. But until I looked back and saw that like, wow, I really am not doing the right thing and I need to change. I realized I couldn't take self-improvement advice from books, but I could embrace failure because that's something I'm good at. And then maybe I can figure out how to stop that. <laughs> I guess, first of all, would you like to give a little background as to like your experience with failure and what, what brought you to writing that book? Yeah. To understand like where I, I was, let's talk about where I came from, which is growing up as a kid. Uh, we were the poor family, so we didn't have a whole lot. Um, we were used to hand-me-downs, handouts. Um, I remember one time there was uh, a Christmas that my mom said, hey, listen, there's not going to be a whole lot of presents underneath the tree this year. And as a kid, that's really never anything that you want to hear. And I, I just want to be clear. I don't blame my parents for anything. Um, they were really kids trying to raise kids, and they were just trying to figure it out for themselves. But some of their broken mindsets were passed down to us. And I knew that when I turned 18, I really wanted to escape the chaos of my childhood. And I did what any 18 year old does. I went to a public university and took out a massive amount of student loan debt. Um, And so I figured this will be the best way for me to change my life. And when I got to college, I'll tell you, uh, I did have this desire to really create a new life. But this is when I was first introduced to alcohol, to drugs, and to the party scene. And when I got there, man, I had a really good time. I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to confuse this subject. I, I did enjoy myself for a season. I felt like for the first time I had a personality, I was in social settings that man, normally I would have probably never had access to. Um, I felt like somebody, I felt like significant and which is probably something that I was chasing because I don't think that I ever really got it as a kid. But what happened was, is that all of a sudden my studies started to compete with this party lifestyle that I had developed. And now I'm starting to take prescription ADD medication and I'm feeling hyper-focused and really locked in. And, and, and now what started out as just a weekend fun thing to do at age 19, 20, and 21 turns into a full-blown drug addiction. And so now after four years of going to college, I've come nowhere close to actually getting a degree. And so um, I don't know if you've ever heard of what the walk of shame is, Yep. but uh, <laughs> done many. Uh, but for me, I had to move back in with my parents after four years of college. And that was my walk of shame. And so through a series of events, uh, I knew that there was like a, this builder, this creator on the inside of me. I just didn't really know how to tap into it yet. 
And my first project out of college was I was going to start my own marketing company and I was going to help small businesses do social media. Now you've, you've heard these stories of these young kids who drop out of college and become these like very successful entrepreneurs. There's movies, there's YouTube channels about them. I want to be very clear. That is not my story. I just did okay. I, I, I barely had any projects. I wasn't really that good. But what it did is it opened a door for me for a, a business partner of mine to actually introduce me to a bar and restaurant that I wanted to open up. That's awesome. So just for context, how old are you right now? So I'm 33 years old. Okay. And at the time when you were graduating and starting this business, how old were you? 22. Okay. 22, 23 years old. You had that confidence that you didn't yet earn uh, to think you could teach businesses how to market themselves, I imagine. That's the that's what we call the drugs, my friend. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I created so many businesses or like fictional businesses in my mind or goals. Like if I, I was reading a notebook um the other day and and like I would write down uh 20 goals in the morning, 20 goals at night, and I was looking through some of them and it was just insanity. It was like goal number one, build a casino. Goal number two, have a, a bridge named after me. Like it was like insanity. <laughs> so, uh, so like I get what you're saying. Um, and I also just wanted to quickly mention that I had the exact same issues. I grew up maybe not as poor as you because I'm not sure, uh, you know, how, how we stack up in that sense. But more like I my parents were divorced when I was three. Yeah. Wasn't specifically taught anything about um, finances or anything. Yes. Christmas was my least favorite holiday because like in high school, I went to an all guys private Catholic high school. So I'd show up and everyone would be like, oh, well, what did everyone get? And uh, I'd like uh, clothes <laughs> and they'd, be, they'd like have a new car. And I'm like, OK, well, that's not not um, making me feel great. <laughs> so, and then just like you, I really didn't drink until I got to college. And I joined a fraternity, which is the best way to get really, really deep into alcohol as quickly as possible. <laughs> so I see a lot of uh, similarities, but my difference was that like, I really excelled at school and it was easy for me. So I could also get wasted and, and be in a fraternity, but also get really good grades. So that also didn't like compel me to stop. You know, it was like, why would I, why would I stop if I can keep doing the fun thing, which I was never comfortable, like socially, like you're saying, I was a nerd in high school. Yeah. But at once I could be a nerd and feel cool i was like wow this is amazing and so i definitely got similar addiction issues with alcohol but i also have all sorts of addiction issues i can get addicted to anything if it gives me that rush yeah so i identify with it yeah absolutely i think addiction can be fun for a season and then it's not fun and then it doesn't feel good and now it's starting to take control of my life um but before that really started to get out of control for me um, I now am getting ready to start my second business, which is a bar and a restaurant. And this really touched on a few things for me. So it touched on that entrepreneur that was on the inside, mm -hmm. but it also touched on this like party guy that was on the inside also too. And you said there's a mentor involved in this, right? Yeah. Well, not quite. There's a business partner. Okay. So there's somebody who wanted to start this bar and restaurant and they invited me in the journey of partnering up with them. Uh, and so we took what was a failing business in the beginning and we turned it into something that was actually, I would consider pretty successful over the course of about, about two years. Um, so now I have access 
So really more money than I've probably ever seen in my life. Um, now this was not a, a crazy amount of money. This was not a life-changing amount of money. Just, you got to understand growing up as somebody who didn't have much, it felt like the world to me. I had a really nice car. I had an apartment in downtown that had high rise ceilings. I was hanging out with people that I probably would have never hung out with before. And I thought that once I got all of this stuff, that it would finally make me happy, that I would somehow be complete. I would be okay. And I would experience fulfillment. And it didn't. None of this stuff actually made me feel like a whole human being. And so now the drug addiction really starts to get out of control. And I'm taking two, three, four times the amount prescribed to any human being. And I'm trying to find what is the right mixture of things and pills that I can take that will just make me feel okay with myself because I don't like who I am. And if I, if I, can, if I can be productive enough, but get enough sleep and, and what's the right combination that will just make me, make me okay. And so now it's not just the drugs, but all of a sudden I'm starting to go to casinos and I'm finding myself gambling a lot. And, and geez, now I feel like I'm actually addicted to gambling too. And it's not even about winning the money anymore. It's, it's the high that I'm experiencing while I'm, while I'm at these places. And over the course of about a year, I ended up gambling everything that I personally had away, lost my car. Um, my bank accounts were empty, but the business bank accounts, they were still full. And so here I am starting to, to move money around and, and make it work a little bit. And I thought to myself in this moment, well, geez, as the business owner, isn't this my money anyways? Mm-hmm. Well, well, here's the deal. You can't take business money and use it for personal investments. That's actually called embezzlement. So here I am taking business money to feed this drug and gambling addiction that I've developed. And uh, we, had, we had about 20 employees who worked for us at the time. And it was a payday. And so my business partner comes in and he says, Nate, it's time to cut the checks for everybody. And I just came clean in that moment. And uh, I remember saying to him, if, if we write these checks, there's not going to be enough money in the accounts to cover them. And you could see the look on his face. He was confused. He was frustrated. He was upset. And then he realized that I had taken the payroll money the night before and I'd gambled it all away. And uh, so he gave me an ultimatum at this point. He said, you can sign this business over to me and walk away from it free and clear, or I'm going to get lawyers involved and I'm going to press charges. So at, uh, at 26 years old, I moved back in with my parents and I left what was my life's work at that point. And I didn't know who I was because my identity was wrapped up in being a business owner. And you take that away and I just, I fell apart. I could hardly hold down a job. So I would get a job at a local restaurant as a server somewhere. Um, but then I'd revert back to what I knew, which was taking from the cash register. So I'd get caught for that and then I'd get fired. Um, this happened three different times. The last time that it happened, I was walking around my parents' apartment complex. It was three in the morning. I had just taken a handful of pills and uh, I was going up to different vehicles to see if any of them were unlocked. And uh, I just wanted to find something that I could sell, anything that I could take to feed the monster that was inside of me. And I uh, opened up the car door to a 1999 Buick LeSabre. And as I lifted up the center console, I found the spare keys to that car. I guess I thought to myself in that moment, maybe this is actually a gift. Maybe this is a chance to get away and run away from my problems because man, I, I hated the life that I had at that point. 
And I didn't wake up that morning thinking to myself, well, today's the day that I'm going to steal a car. But when you find yourself in the wrong place with the wrong headspace, uh, you never know what is possible. And so I loaded up five garbage bags of clothes and I threw them in the back seat and I took off for Houston, Texas. Um, I had a friend who lived down there who said, Nate, if you ever find a way to make it here, I'll help you get back on your feet. And so I made it halfway from Ohio to Texas, uh, right outside of Nashville, Tennessee. There's a small town called Ashland City. And I pulled into a gas station. It's in Cheatham County, Tennessee. I'd been up for three days at this point, and I just wanted to get some sleep. And I was woken up at 9 a.m. to three really loud bangs on the driver's side window. A stranger's hand reached into the car, pulled me out, put me in handcuffs, and sat me in the back of a cop car. And it's at that point I realized I think I'm in trouble. And the weight of every decision sat on my chest like a ton of bricks. And uh, this thought kept rolling through my mind. It was the same thought that my business partner told me. It was the same thought that um, people that I had taken advantage of had told me. But I have found that the loudest voices are oftentimes the ones that are in our own head. And it kept saying, you'll never change. This is your life now. You're never going to be any different. And so they took me to Cheatham County Jail, where I spent six months of my life. So this was a pod style facility. So there were uh, uh, 16 guys in one pod. There were three tables. There were two restrooms, but there were zero windows. The only chance that we got to get out was once a month, they offered something called church service. Now, I was not really interested in going to church, but I I did want to get out of that pod. And so we walked down this long hallway. It It was a cinder block room off the left hand side. There were 16 folding chairs set up. And as we're walking in, we're some ugly looking dudes at this point. Our hair has grown out. Our beards are a mess. Orange, it's not a great color on any guy. All right. And so as we walk in, this really, really old guy follows us in there. And then he pulls out this really, really old guitar. And he looks at us and he says, fellas, the only difference between me and you is that I never got caught for the things that I did. And he starts to play the song, Amazing Grace. And it goes, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Wow. That's like such a powerful thing because you usually don't think about what that means. And so when someone gives you that kind of context around it, you know, it really hits home. I was blown away that you said you knew you were in trouble uh, once you were getting arrested, not that you knew you were in trouble, uh, like much earlier, <laughs> which it seems like you should have probably had an inkling, but it was when you were getting arrested. But I also would have been like, oh, now it's real bad to get in trouble type of thing. But I, I struggled with the same thing because it was like the dopamine rush doesn't matter where it's coming from. I did like I ran an underground poker society at my college and so i'm not gonna even discuss like all of the ridiculousness around it except for like just one thing that i've never mentioned the podcast which is we had a 40 person poker tournament and if you know hold'em i'm not sure if you're familiar with it very so i i was one of the last two and um i was against this other guy and uh i had seven two off suit and i went all in and if anyone doesn't know that's the worst hand in poker yes very the very worst hand he flips over pocket aces and then 
what proceeds to come out is ace three four five, which gives me with the worst hand a straight, and therefore I end up actually winning because he called my bluff, and I did not deserve to win at all, which I thought was just such an amazing coincidence. Because once I saw his hand, I was like, oh, I'm totally, totally screwed. And then I felt so bad taking the money from him because I was like, oh, man, you did everything right. And I still somehow won there. That dopamine rush, but also just running those tournaments and stuff led on to me like later in life, finding like underground games where I could, where there's video cameras and stuff and, you know, the track and all sorts of things. Yep. And I didn't even know besides in rounders like that existed in the real world. So that, I thought that was, that was funny. Also, by the way, talking about the wrong headspace, who picks a 99 Buickle Sabre as a card? Is still like, <laughs> that's definitely the wrong headspace, regardless of what happened prior to that. <laughs> so to go to jail over that. Yeah. Well, I wasn't an, I wasn't an expert car thief. It just happened to be the only one that was unlocked. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, my first car that I picked, I mean, like to buy was a, a Ford Tempo, like an 88 Ford Tempo. It only lasted two days and I was doing a lot of volunteering. Yeah. I was the president of the nursing home club, but my gas tank cracked and bled all over the nursing home parking lot and the, the fire department had to come put like kitty litter over everything. So I still remember my first car, but uh, I only barely owned it. Yeah. So it's just funny. Both of us picked bad cars. You, you just found one. It happened to stumble upon it. It's just interesting. And also at the moment of this recording, this is the one year anniversary for my first podcast episode. But the guy who I interviewed in the first episode, his last name is Cheatham. And you were at the Cheatham facilities. Wow. So I don't think that's a coincidence. I mean, I do, but I also don't. And uh, the other thing I want to mention before I let you continue on with your story is that I I've wanted to do a, a true crime type of podcast yeah. called uh, Orange Collar Crime, which is about prisoners and so uh and that doesn't exist yet so that term doesn't mean anything i've googled the hell out of it yeah and so i, I bought the websites and stuff but i i didn't know if it would be like how people got into jail or maybe j- j- crimes that happened in jail or maybe corrupt guards prison riots all those things could be involved but you have infinitely more just by being there once than i have in terms of experience we could have all kinds of stories we can have all kinds of fun <laughs> how long uh, how long were you sentenced for? How long did you end up staying? So I was in jail for six months and I learned all kinds of things. I actually have, a, I haven't shared this on any podcast I've been on. I have a homemade tattoo that says mom on my right elbow, which is really, really cool. It was my homage to go into jail. It was my proof that I was there. Yeah. A homage. Yeah. A mom <laughs> Yeah. <that's> a- <laughs> um, homemade meaning your own or someone else's home. Somebody, I mean, somebody, <laughs> somebody else did it for me, but it was made in jail, um, made with a, a staple and some ink that we had to actually make in jail made out of uh, soot that was burnt from cardboard mixed mm-hmm. with VO5 soap and a little bit of water. So that's underneath my skin right now. Wow. I have, just real quick, a similar story in terms of making a mistake related to the tattoo piece. So I uh, similarly struggle with certain addictions. And so this was this year. I was hanging out with a guy who went by a uh, pseudonym. I'm not going to say the pseudonym because it could give too much information. We were hanging out. He has to borrow my car, the one that has the failure license plate. He said, uh, hey, can I borrow your car? I want to go do something. And for some reason, because I was driving with him, but it, 
He had a teardrop tattoo and all sorts of other things. I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Take it. And then like 10 hours go by and then he's still not back. So I'm like, okay, at what point should I report this stolen? So I called a blowjack and I'm like, Hey guys, can you just tell me where my car is? And they're like, you need to file a police report in order for us to do that. And I'm like, okay, well, um, at least I can talk them out of it once they do that, because he didn't, I'll be like, Oh, that's the guy I thought had it. I just thought someone else stole it. So I called, put in the police report, right? No more than 10 minutes after I put in the police report, he shows back up with my car, totally perfect condition. Wow. No, no problem. So I'm like, I told him to go back. I was going to go to the front to deal with the police. I'm trying to find where the cops are. I walk back and he's getting arrested. And I'm like, no, guys, don't worry about it. It's all good. Um, he, this is who I thought had my car. And they're like, no, he has a warrant out for his arrest. So I'm like, I'm like, oh, no, I didn't know this could happen. <laughs> <laughs> so then I'm like, dude, I'm so sorry. I did not want you to get arrested. And then he's like, just bail me out. Just bail me out. And I'm like, I will bail you out. But also I had no money. So I had to figure out how to bail him out. And I never got to the point of bailing him out because I kept failing and not having any money. And so I was just worried about him like trying to come find me and kill me. <laughs> and uh, I did go put money in his commissary and very kind of you and add to his phone bill and stuff and try to get the money to do it. But every time I get hitting roadblocks, like, yeah. for example, wrecking my car and totaling it <laughs> or getting prior two weeks prior to that hitting a deer with my car and then my front door wouldn't open so i would have to recline the front seat and go out the back like a somersault uh, like a jackass and uh i was trying to pay this guy get this guy to jail yeah but i couldn't even get there because i kept having all these things get put in my way and then i kept thinking like this guy is thinking i'm never gonna do it and i'm a guy of my word but um interesting how I could have just said no when he asked to borrow my car, <laughs> but, or he could have shown up 10 minutes earlier and I wouldn't have called the police. Uh, but like, who expects him to do that after 10 hours of, of being on a car and all his social media? No, he didn't answer on anything. So it was like, I hope he hears this and realizes that I tried. And if he doesn't hear it, I'm okay with that as well. Well, you touched on something important. You said like, if I would have not let him borrow my car, um, that's a decision that you decided to make. And I really do believe that our decisions can determine our destiny. And so I don't necessarily know that we're supposed to always know what the right decisions are, but I do want us to start to become more aware on how powerful our decisions can be. And that's one thing that I really talk about in the book is that there's actually a massive amount of power in taking back control of our decision-making. And um, just to get back to the story, uh, here I am in jail with this really old guy playing this amazing song. And I look around the room and there's 16 guys who have made mistakes, who have hurt people, who have done terrible things with tears starting to stream down their face. And uh, I just remember in that moment, really just making a decision that if it is possible to change, I want to, because this is not the life that I want to live anymore. I don't want to be this person. And when I got out of jail, uh, they gave me two years of felony probation because you're not allowed to steal cars and drive them across the country. Oh, really? Yep. No, okay. I'll make a mental <laughs> note of that. But when I got out, I got really obsessed with how do you create sustainable change? Um, and I got a hold of a John Maxwell book that said, if you want your world to change, you've got to be the one that changes first. And I really took that to heart. 
And um, I went on this personal development journey where I wanted to become the best version of me in all areas of my life. So mentally, emotionally, um, physically, I wanted to take control of my health. Financially, I really wanted to get a hold of my finances because I'd really destroyed them through this whole process. Um, spiritually, I wanted to experience what could a spiritual side of myself even look like. And then I wanted to become the best son, the best friend, the best person that I could be. And I said, I'm going to give myself one year to do all of this. I'm going to fix my life in one year because I could always go back. I could always go back to making the wrong decisions, but I didn't know what my life could look like if I made a bunch of really good decisions. And now several years removed from that whole process, I'll tell you, transformation doesn't take one year. It's actually a lifelong process that we go on. And so I'm still in the middle of this journey of figuring out who is the best version of Nate. Um, but through all of this, man, I learned a whole lot and I got really, really obsessed with personal development and looking and realizing that just because I've made some mistakes, it doesn't mean that I am one and who I was is not who I am now. The great thing about making new decisions is that we can just literally wake up today and say, today, I'm going to do something different. Today, I'm going to make a new choice. It doesn't have to be this overcomplicated process where we get to our breaking point where we say, well, now I have to. I can just decide today, I'm going to do something different. Now, it helps to have a compelling vision, something that is drawing us towards mm -hmm. our decision making. And it also helps to have a little bit of pain in the past too, propelling us forward of like, I don't want to be this person anymore. But the first thing that I teach people is that when you really want to create your own comeback, because that's what I get to do now, I get to help other people make their own comeback. They say uh, a good book is the conversation that you have over and over and over again. And the big question that I get is, Nate, how do I change my life? Um, and so I, I get to literally walk other people through their process and their journey of, of realizing that they are a different human being now, which means they have to forgive the old version of ourselves. We have to start to make some promises to future versions of ourselves. But the first thing we talk about is, is this formula that, that I've created that literally anybody can apply to their life right now and start making some significant changes. The first step in this journey is we have to create a vision for our life. And when I say vision, people don't necessarily understand exactly what I'm talking about. Because when we talk about this, you say, what do you want your life to look like? Most people have never thought about this. And if we do, we give generic answers at best. We say things like, man, I, I just want to be happy. Um, I want my kids to be taken care of. I want my bills to be paid. And while there is intrinsically nothing wrong with that, there's nothing wrong with that at all. It isn't specific enough. Yeah, well, what I was thinking is like, uh, I agree because, you know, it's easy to like say what the things you want to do is, but you almost have to hallucinate yourself into like really like picturing and living in that life and then realizing how good it would be. Yeah, we talk about visualization. Like, what does it feel like to be exactly where you want to be? What are the emotions that you're experiencing when you're at the place that you want to be in life? And so I start to ask questions like this. You know, what do you want your legacy to be? What do you want to pass down to the next generation? You know, I, I know that we're not supposed to care what other people think about us or, or, or other people's opinions are none of our business. We've heard that before. But man, what do you want people to say about you when you leave a room? 
if we want to get really specific, man, how much money do I want to make? What, what kind of lifestyle do I want to have? We really want to get crystal clear because here's the deal. If you go to the airport right now and you say, I want to fly on an airplane, they will sell you a ticket. But the question is, is it anywhere that you actually want to go? And so until we take control of our life, and so we take control of our vision for our future, there will always be someone to come along and tell us what our life is supposed to look like. So once we have this very clear vision for our life that we can feel it, we know what it is, we, we're alive, we come alive when we think about it. Now we have to add in our decisions. So uh, contrary to popular belief, what we do on a day-to-day basis, it matters so much. It is pivotal. Our decisions determine our destiny. The things that we do will lead us to creating the vision for our life. So you have to have a vision. You add in your decisions. Is that step two? Decisions? That's that step two is decisions. It reminds me of uh, that quote from James Clear, Atomic Habits, if you've ever read it. Yeah. Which is uh, every choice you make is a vote for the person you want to be. That that kind of thing. Absolutely. And That's exactly it. what we're talking about. The decisions that you make are either building the, the foundation for your vision or they're b- taking blocks away from it. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're moving in one way or another. You're voting. I love that, 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 that quote you just said. You're voting either for yourself or against yourself. And so once we have all of that established, the hardest part that I wish I had a life hack for I wish I had the secret sauce, something to skip over this, but I don't. And if you do, you might be able to write a book and, and make a lot of money off this. But until then, hopefully, the hardest, the hardest part is that you have to multiply all of that by time. The hardest four-letter word any of us are ever going to hear is wait. And this is a process. So if you've got a vision and you're starting to make some really good decisions, and your life doesn't look the way that you think it should, I just want to encourage you, man, give this thing some time because you can go right now and take a frozen pizza and throw it in the oven and it's going to taste okay. But man, there is something special about barbecue that has been roasting, smoking for hours and hours and hours, man. It tastes so much better when you give it some time. And that can be one of the the harder things to do. Like I just mentioned, we're on today, uh, the one year anniversary and in the last month, I've had uh, about 50% of my total year's downloads. That doesn't mean I'm necessarily doing anything right. It just means that some things take time. So this is what, what my advice would be to uh, augment three and, and try to take time into consideration is to, to anytime you're setting a goal, it should be on the things you can control. Yes. So like, for example, I want to make a certain amount of podcast episodes, not necessarily how many downloads or views it gets or whatever the hell metric it is because you can't control the metric yes but you can control what you do and what you get done and then hopefully if you do it in the right way and you do it with intention the metrics will come and you you obviously want things to to work out but if if really you focus on doing the thing rather than the result the time piece doesn't doesn't crush you as much because you're like not waiting for that outcome Instead, you're rushing to do more of the stuff. And then that starts to bring on the magic. And, you know, you never know if, if it'll ever actually gain traction. But, you know, just like when I started my Excel course in 2010 and I gave it all away for free, but also 
the first year, I don't think anybody came because I didn't have any content on there and I wasn't promoting it because I wanted to build up at least like 20 videos before I would be trying to draw people to the site. So, you know, fast forward like eight years from then, I have like 4 million people visit my site and it's like any minute there's seven to 10 people listening to me explain Excel. But if I, if I jumped straight to charging for it or something or thinking I was a man, uh, that wouldn't happen. So I had to give it away for free for a long time and provide as much value as I could just to figure out how to do that because I was so sick of giving my all and everything to every job and then finding I was replaceable. And then yeah. I thought I'd get better at the skill and then I'd get irreplaceable. But no matter how good you get, you are infinitely replaceable because they don't care how much they have to struggle to replace you. Um, if they don't want you there, they don't, they don't want you there. And it took a lot of uh, failing to realize that. And so I went on this path because I thought it was like the path I was supposed to go down, but really I just hate being micromanaged and also yes. I like creative things. So if I can teach other people how to do Excel, based on the knowledge that I've gained. Perfect. You go to corporate America, you go do the thing and hopefully you do it better and make less mistakes and maybe save some time. And I would say, if you save that time, keep it for yourself. Don't tell your boss because they're just going to give you more stuff to do. And they're not going to promote you to manager because they know you're really good at Excel. They'll just put a manager that manages you. You know, it's like, it's such a weird thing where you can't, you can't really get to where you need to be in that yeah. system. And it's getting even worse. Yeah. The more that like wealth is, you know, concentrated with certain companies and things like that. So I realized it's like, they don't care about you, but they want you to pretend there's corporate culture and a family and all this other stuff. And, uh, and I was like, it's total BS. You know, it's like, it's, it, I don't, I don't like that. So I even struggled to promote my own Excel course because I have so much negative feelings wrapped around the fact that a lot of it came with a lot of heartache. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's like, I don't for this podcast, I should have an ad saying, Hey, go to my Excel site. So like right now, I'll do the first ever ad, go to excelexposure.com. There's a bunch of free stuff. All the old free stuff still there. If you go to the premium course, you could buy it. You don't have to. There's a a preview too and you can see if you like any of it but the point is i have weird negative money associations probably like you because we grew up without money so yeah. and we had poor role models and that's why actually starting over from the bottom is this really beautiful thing because you get to build your life back brick by brick to look exactly how you want it to um i love the tony robbins quote that says uh our mistakes can be our greatest gifts if we choose to learn from them and so I really apply that to my life is that I've made a whole lot of mistakes. It sounds like you've made your fair share, but, but I also want to choose to learn from them and learn how do I get better? And not only that, how do I help other people avoid some of the mistakes that I've made, which is why I love this podcast so much, which is why we're taking the stigma out of failure. You know, in Silicon Valley, they're literally what their slogan is for the tech companies is fail fast and then fail faster. Mm -hmm. They understand the faster that you fail, the sooner you get to where you're actually trying to go. I'm going to say that again. The faster that you fail, the sooner you get that you're trying to go. And so there's nothing wrong with failure. A lot of it is the stigma and the negative emotions that we've associated with failure. Just because you failed 
doesn't make you a failure. Mm -hmm. Let's let's be let's be clear on that. And a lot of people tell me that because they're like, uh, "Hey, man, no, no, you're not a failure. You're, you're like you're you're smart and everything." Because they see the license plate. Well, they don't anymore. But you know, they uh, they're they're like, "Why would you want to say that about yourself?" But it's like more about being comfortable with failure because a lot of people don't even do the thing because of the fear of failure. Come on. So they're like, I'm not even going to try this thing because I'm too scared of failing. They don't even get the chance to fail and then learn from it. You know? Yes. Yes, absolutely, man. No, you're, you're hundred percent correct. And I'm curious actually about you, the relationship that you have with yourself now, like how do you feel about you now that you've experienced some failure. Cause there was a, a time in my life where I, I hated who I was and I had to go on this journey of actually forgiving myself mm -hmm. and learning how to love myself again, which was really, really hard for me, but man, it was so healthy and, and just such a healing process and experience. But I'm curious, how do you feel about your failures? First of all, I feel, I feel like I've always been confident in myself. Um, so the fit when I've run up against failure, I'd be like, Oh, uh, what the hell? But also I knew the cause of it because a lot of it was like dumb decisions I made, but I made them by choice and I thought I could like out game it so that, you know, like you were saying, the right blend of things, you know, could be the right combination. But I think my real thing was like, you know, my first job was at KPMG as a, in public accounting. But um, the problem was like, I'd be sitting there and I'd be looking at uh, a partner in the company. That's the goal to become a partner. And they're like in their 40s and 50s and they're still staying there till 10 p.m. at night working. And I'm like, uh, is that who I want to be? Yeah. Is that where I want to be? And why would I want to be there? So I would have like this weird thing where like I'd have to play an act at work. So like I'd be one person at work and I'd be another guy at home. And I was like the, that, like I think you mentioned in your book about the the like suppressing or you know, keeping secret addictions but each time I was fired from every job, you know, I became closer to the real person that I am. So I wouldn't have to act because it's exhausting to have to put on a character, even if it's just, you know, some guy who pretends to like sports, but it really doesn't or whatever the thing is that you have to do to fit in with the people at work. And so like on my most recent job, I felt like I was the, myself the entire time, you know, instead of having to put on an act and I still got fired. So, so now I realize <laughs> <laughs> that it, I got to just make my own business work and function because I don't like uh, being micromanaged, but I also yeah. suffer at micromanaging my own self. I can tell everyone else what to do with their money, but if it's my money, I can spend it like a wild man. So uh, it's funny because it's my job too. So I used to joke like, oh, I don't like taking my work home with me. So therefore I don't financially plan my own life. But that's my job. I was a financial planning and analysis manager. It's like so stupid, but I was so tapped out on thinking about money. By the time I got home, I didn't want to think about, you know, money and all the things that are going on. I would just want to do whatever I want and, and, and assume that I would be successful and assume that like, if I just kept getting better at the software and not the politics that it would work out. But really I got to make it on my own. And honestly, I know how to teach people Excel. I don't know how to market it at all yeah. because people fall asleep halfway through your, the word Excel. And so it's like, I, I try, I'm trying to like figure out a how to teach it. I've already done the hard task of, of learning it over 15 years, then teaching it in this course. But now I got to convince people to to want to, you know, I say doing the impossible, making yourself fun. But really, uh, 
it is impossible. <laughs> I mean, because no one really has fun. Part of my problem is because I don't like introducing money into the issue. It's like, well, like me and you are hanging out, right? And we're having a good time. And then this third guy named Money comes in and he makes it all weird and like makes everyone act stranger than they need yeah. to. So I don't like to introduce money into my creativity until I know how it'll affect it. That's why I don't put ads on this podcast. People in the future, maybe I went back and put ads on it, but at the moment there are no ads. So it's just, it's just interesting to think about in order to do it, you really got to find a scalable way to become successful. And, yep. and I love that you, you took your book and, and what you're saying is great because the growth mindset is one of the most important things people can learn. You, you're not defined by your past but you are defined by the decisions you make and anything you choose to do in the future. And I'm still making mistakes all the time. Um, I mean, not on purpose, but uh, you know, if you can't get comfortable with getting out of your comfort zone, you won't make as many mistakes That's and right. you won't learn as much. That's right. And so once you got out of maybe finished your two years of probation, how do you figure out how to come up with this methodology? And you can yeah. skip straight to four if you want, or explain like how you develop the system. Yeah. So, so now here's where I'm at. So now I've, the first thing that I can do right out of jail is get a job as a landscaper and um, uh, cutting grass. And I was completely honest with them. And I said, Hey, this is where I'm at. I'm at. I've made some mistakes. Um, I totally get it. If you don't want to hire me. And they needed the help. So they brought me on and they really gave me a shot when they didn't have to. So I'm super thankful for that. Uh, but it gave me this opportunity that all day I had earbuds in my ears. And instead of listening to trap music all day long, uh, I decided that I was going to start to listen to podcasts, to audiobooks, to, uh, you know, there is such a wealth of information on YouTube. YouTube University can teach you anything. There's also some crazy stuff that you can fall into a deep, dark black hole on flat earth, cat videos, Q and you can go deep in it, but there's also some really educational stuff on there too. They can teach you how to do anything. Um, and so I really became obsessed with personal development. And I started listening to people like Tony Robbins, to Brendan Burchard, to Tom Bilyeu at Impact Theory, to Tim Ferriss, and some of these heavy hitters in the personal development world. And it inspired me, um, but it also gave me practical takeaways that I can start to apply to my life. And once you start to see some of the results of your life actually changing, now you start to get obsessed with it. Now you start to get, it starts to become really fun because it goes from just being an idea to something that you can actually execute on. And uh, I'll tell you, I got, um, I got a mentor in my life because this was the first time that I was actually willing to accept the fact that maybe I didn't know everything. Takes a while, right? <laughs> I, str I stripped back some of the ego and I allowed someone to actually speak into my life. And a good mentor will take you places that you desperately need to go that maybe you don't want to go in the moment. And he started poking on areas of my life that I didn't want poked on. And uh, I'm super thankful for that because he really inspired me and, and said, you know, if you're going to become a different person, you need to start to surround yourself with different people. Psychology will tell us that we're the average of the five people that we spend the most time with. Um, science will tell us that we'll make the average amount of money of the five people that we do life with. So when I hear that, and I know this principle to be true, 
I've got to stay, take some personal responsibility on this. I got to say, what are the last five text messages that I sent in my phone? And are the people in my life, are they life giving or are they life draining? And when we start to talk about this, people get a little uncomfortable because, um, you know, the question is, Nate, are you telling me to walk away from people? Are you telling me to give up on some people? And if you're in a toxic relationship right now or a toxic friendship, this actually might be the permission that you need to walk away from some of those relationships that are pulling you away from the plan, the purpose, the vision that is on the inside of you. And you know who these people are. This is the group of people that when you get around them, you become a different person. You act a different way. You talk a a way that you don't actually want to talk. You say things that you never meant to say because we just want to fit in. We just want to be accepted. When you start to close the door on some of these people and you start to limit your exposure to them, really what you're doing is is you're actually uh, giving yourself the chance to be exposed to new people with new ideas and new ways of doing life and new potential. All of a sudden, you're making new decisions which actually lead you to a new life. And so the, the formula that I was talking about is you have to have a vision. You add in your decisions and you multiply it by time. And over a long enough timeline, you will actually make your comeback. You will actually change your life. You'll actually create something. And man, when you wake up, it feels good. It's not perfect. It, it has its challenges. It's still full of problems. There's no such thing as a problem-free life. Let's not pretend life isn't hard. It is. But man, it's it's my life and I'm thankful for it. And I, I actually am appreciative of what I have because I worked so hard to get here. I, I love what you're saying about the the average of the people that you spend your time with because it's it's similar to the to the I'm not sure sure who said it, but like if you want to make a lot of money, would you go ask somebody who's never made a lot of money for advice for how to do that? So good. Because why would you? But but if they're the person who's around, you might be like bouncing an idea off them and they'll probably say, Oh, you'll never be able to do that. You know, when you have people who either uh, have done things before or at least inspire you. So like the most important person in my life who inspires me is my 90 year old grandmother. Wow. I talk to her every Sunday. I have recorded a couple of podcast episodes with her, but I haven't released them yet. Cause I want to, you know, weave it together in a way that makes sense before I, you know, reveal that. But it's like, she told me since I was a little kid, like you're going to be president of a company someday. Wow. I just didn't know it was my own company that I had to do with, but having that someone with that type of faith in you, uh, can boost you. And, and, you know, at least even if it's just encouragement and motivation and support, that's amazing. But also if you can surround yourself with people who either done the same kind of thing you did and learn from their mistakes or people who might take you outside of your comfort zone and make you do new things right now, I'm avoiding mailing my entire Excel list, anything, because I'm just scared for some reason of like either wasting the time or I hate getting the emails too much or whatever the thing is. Um, so I guess before we, if you, unless you have anything else you wanted to talk about the book before we get into the, like the, uh, one or two future-based questions, is there anything specifically related to the topic of failure that you'd like to, to convey to, uh, the audience? Yeah. Failure isn't final. 
failure is not final. It doesn't mean that's the end for you. That I love the story that TD Jake shared. He said, you know, my son came up to me and said, dad, I want to go to school to make movies, but I'm afraid that if I go, I'm not going to be any good. He said, son, I want you to go and I want you to experience it because even if you fail, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it doesn't work out, it will lead you to the next thing, which that might not be the next thing, but it'll lead you to the next thing, which will lead you to the next thing. And so often we do not take our shot because we think that we might fail at something and you might, there's a, there's actually a good chance it might not work out the way that you think it's going to but it will lead you to a new opportunity, which will, here's the thing. We're not going to give up this time because giving up never got us anywhere that we wanted to go before. We've given up in the past. We shut down. We've lost. We throw our hands in the air. We say, I quit. That's not us anymore. Now we are choosing to move forward, even through our mistakes, even through our failure, because failure is not final. Yeah. And, and what's funny is I mentioned those goals I used to write and the build a bridge and, and own a casino. It was just other things that like $20 million had the best animal rescue in the world. All sorts of things. I was just reading through the other day, but one of the things said world's number one failure and that stuck. <laughs> and that one is actually what I'm trying to do now. So like, if I didn't write all those insane ideas, this podcast would have never happened for sure. Yeah. Because like I was sick of networking and talking about Excel and everyone losing interest. So I was like, oh, I'll just throw them a curveball and say, hey, everybody, I'm the world's number one failure. And then they'd be like, what is this guy talking about? <laughs> and then I really didn't have a follow-up. I was just like, just saying that because I got sick of my own spiel. And, and I usually just listen to what other people say. Um, and then as I kept saying it, I, and I probably made like 17 different business cards w- with it. And I've done all sorts of things like uh, the... <laughs> like um, a life improvement guru or something and like just put on different hats. Basically I want to be like a guy in a, with a trench coat in New York selling watches, but instead I had a business card for everything you needed. And like, as I figure out what you need, I have, Hey, here's, here's me. I'm, um, you know, the guy who can solve your problem, but, but that's also just a waste of money, but it let me try on all these different hats and figure out what kind of thing I wanted to do. And so as a privilege of being on this podcast, you earned yourself a get out of fail free card, which I'm going to think they can't see it right now. Maybe if I eventually use video and edit it, um, <laughs> they'll see me hand it to you. Uh, but it's similar to the Monopoly card where um, you can get out of jail. And I wish you had that probably when you were in jail. <laughs> <laughs> but in this instance, we'll say um, if there was a thing you could do where um, there was no chance of failure, and you could use this card to cash in on it. It could be a hobby. It could be something that um, you've been afraid to approach because of the amount of failure involved or because you think you'd be no good at it. I'll give a different example than I usually do because I suck at singing. But I, I'm pretty sure if I like found an old church lady and I had her give me lessons, I could get good at it. But that's just in my head. I don't know if it's true, but the growth mindset tells me it is. Uh, it's just probably wasting my time to get good at singing because... What am I going to do with it? But if you could use that, get a fail free card to do whatever you want, what would you use it for? Do you think? That is an amazing question. I love this question a lot. It's there's a lot of utility in it actually. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you if, if you were talking to a younger version of Nate, it would probably have to do something that has uh, the word success around it. Anything that has to do with money. And I thought that 
um, success and financial gain was the stuff that would actually make me happy. I've just found that um, my fulfillment doesn't come from what I can gain, but it comes from how much I can give and who I can help and what I can be a part of. And so um, I, I do think that success with fulfillment is great. So like if you're contributing to other people's lives and, and you can make money from it, I think that's a huge win. So for me, if I could, um, if I could get, I have my get out of jail free card, I would love to do some kind of live event where I was helping people move past some of their limiting beliefs, the things that are holding them back, but not just like a one-on-one -on -one seminar, something that's actually a blown out live event where I was on tour and I would hit different cities and there was like an attractional draw into what I was doing and, and really helping people create visions for their life start to move past their, this idea that we have around failure, that failure isn't final, and then really helping people tap into a greater version of themselves and, and just spreading more of that message around. If I couldn't fail at something, I would love to eventually be doing live events, live tours, helping people on a practical, hands-on basis. Well, I mean, you're doing it with the book. And, and the funny thing is your first step in that four-step process is basically the inverse of mine which is I say, like, go in the future where you're failing, wear that, realize it's not that bad. <laughs> and then it might even not happen, you know, but like a lot of people don't want to even try. So like, yeah. you know, if you can, if you can put yourself in there in that headspace, it's scary, but I say to use fear as fuel. Yes. If, if you're, if you're feeling fear, you're getting out of sight of your comfort zone. It means you should be going more towards that direction. Not because it's definitely the right move, but it pushes you outside of your comfort zone. And that's where the magic happens, you know? And so it's like, if, if you, and I, I don't follow that advice all the time, you know, I, I, I still uh, fall victim to fear, but every time I feel that fear, sometimes I, I at least question to myself, well, am I going to, am I going to face it and actually do this thing that I'm scared of? Or am I going to back away and retreat and go back into whatever the alcohol or whatever the thing is? And, uh, and you know, it's crapshoot sometimes which version I'll do. But the more times I choose to pick outside the comfort zone, the more times interesting things happen. And, um, and it's been life-changing for me, even though I'm not a success yet, you know? Um, I mentioned to you earlier, there's a, a long podcast that I haven't released yet. Um, but I'm a rags to riches story and I'm in the rags. So I hope to at some point be able to say that I'm in the riches, but if not, that's right. Come on. If, uh, if not, that's okay. At least I knew I tried because uh, people on the deathbed, they don't regret the things they did. It's the things they didn't do. Yes. Things they didn't try um, or they played it too safe. Yes. And so my question to you next is what is the next big thing you're going to fail at? Not intentionally, but go outside your comfort zone to, to fail that. Yeah. The next big thing I'm going to fail at is how do I market this book? <laughs> um, it's done really, really well. Um, I just think that there's another level to go to. Mm -hmm. And I'm really starting to tap into some of those ways that I can actually get this book in the hands of people who need it the most. And so I'm going to desperately try and uh, 
figure out alternative ways of getting this book in front of people who need to hear the message. Um, because this, I, I do believe that, uh, you know, after hearing stories from people like Dan, who said when they read this book, they felt like, um, uh, they, they felt like somebody understood exactly what they were going through for the very first time. And people like Craig who read it and said, you know, like I read it with tears in my eyes, the very first chapter, because I felt like I wasn't alone. And so, um, I am going to fail at marketing this book several, several different times because I just believe in the message of it so much. And, um, you know, if I spend a lot of all of the money that I make on marketing it, it's worth it if it can get in one more person's hands. Absolutely. And I think honestly, yours is, I think like the next evolution of, uh, the subtle art of not giving a fuck, you know, which if you've read, um, or, well, I certainly read it. And it. Yeah. Mark Manson, he's a great author. It's awesome. So I'm saying, I think you're in the same ballpark, but maybe just the next step and saying, not just not giving a fuck, but also now giving a fuck in a certain direction. And that's more important sometimes than uh, just shedding the uh, how much you care about what people think. But definitely um, convincing yourself you'll never change is the only way you'll never change. <laughs> you know, it's weird. Yeah. But once you realize that it's a self-limiting belief, you can then start to change. You don't have to keep doing the things you were doing. You can try new things. You can do all sorts of things. My thing, my problem is I tried too many things. Um, and so I'll leave one last nugget of information that I read recently, which is a uh, Warren Buffett quote on the, how to prioritize things. He yeah. was saying to take, write down your 25 biggest career goals. And then from that, pick the five that are most important to you. And then the guy who's talking to him is like, okay. And then the other ones you just work on like here, there. And he's like, no. The other ones you avoid at all costs. You do not touch any of those until the first five are accomplished because otherwise yes. you're never going to get there. That's right. And so for me, that's so hard because I, because I love doing all sorts of random things, but at least I think I could, I could whittle it down to five. Um, so to wrap it up, where can people find you? What's the best way for people to find you? Where do you want to send them to? Yeah. Um, to see what you're up to besides, um, uh, I mean, not even besides say the book, mention the book again and where they can find that as well. Yeah. You can find the book on Amazon. Uh, just go type in, you'll never change. Um, or you can type in Nate Dukes. You can also find me on my website. You'll never change.com. Awesome. I appreciate you coming on all the vulnerability and, and showing that, you know, for people who have struggled in their lives, who might have been in, uh, you know, the prison system or, you know, have had failures yeah, man. that they thought, Define them to your point and to my point, it's not a final destination. It's just a stepping stone on your way to success. Yes. And you don't know what that success will look like. And you don't know if you'll ever get there, but you certainly won't get there if you don't try. And so I, I just appreciate you sharing all of your wisdom and I can't wait to read your book and, uh, and see what other things I can, I can gain from it because, uh, because I know we're seemingly of similar mindsets. So, and not just seemingly to are hundred percent, basically the same person that we even looked the same. So, <laughs> um, so I appreciate you coming on sharing. And um, if you ever want to uh, be a guest on it again, maybe later in the future, when you I would love that written another book, I'd be so honored or figured out how to market it. You know, I'd be happy to have you on and, uh, and thank you again. I, I, I can't wait to let this out into the world and, and have them hear the passion that you have and uh, that you get it. You get the joke of this podcast. It's not a joke, but it's like some people just go, 
uh, I don't like that because they, they don't like the word failure or whatever. Yeah. And, and you, you know, you get it. So, um, so I appreciate everything you've shared and, and uh, I wish you all the success in the future. Thanks, man. That, that's, that's very meaningful. I appreciate it. I love this podcast and what you're doing, man. This is going to be huge. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And I hope so. Thanks for joining me on the Failure Guy podcast. If you enjoyed it, feel free to tell somebody. And don't forget, always try to fail it till you nail it. Till next time. Would you like to be more efficient, productive, and confident in your work at the office? Over 750 million people worldwide use Excel, yet it's still a misunderstood and frequently misused tool. That's why I created Excel Exposure, so you can work smarter and not harder. The Excel Essentials course gives you over 5 hours of in-depth video lessons, plus it comes along with my master workbook which has every function, shortcut, and all the examples to follow along. Investopedia actually included my course in their list of six best online Excel classes of 2021, saying it's best for visual learners. As someone who's an expert in failure, I can certainly teach you and your team how to avoid spreadsheet failures and create bulletproof Excel documents. Use the coupon code FAILURE for 20% off of the lifetime access price. Visit ExcelExposure.com for more information and also my existing award-winning free training.